Welcome to Aquifer's Educator Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Robbins. Today I'm speaking with Drs. Sheila Raja and Shairi Turner-Davis about trauma-informed care. They've worked collaboratively with a national set of experts to create aquifer cases addressing the physical and mental health consequences of trauma. We'll discuss why it's so critical to integrate content on trauma-informed care into the curricula of every health professional school, making sure to introduce trainees to the importance of taking universal trauma precautions and weaving relevant cases throughout the educational program. They'll provide some innovative ways we can use to teach using the aquifer cases they've developed. Welcome, Sheila and Shairi. Thank you, Lynn. Yes, thank you for having us. Before we jump into things, would you introduce yourselves? I'm Sheila Raja. I'm a clinical psychologist and associate professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago in the Colleges of Dentistry and Medicine. And my area of interest and expertise is trauma-informed healthcare. I am Dr. Shairi Turner. I'm an internist and pediatrician with a master's of public health. Uh, My experience really started with trauma uh, when I was the chief medical director for the Florida Department of Juvenile Justice. And now I'm the chief health officer at Crisis Text Line, which is a nonprofit national organization that delivers text-based mental health support and crisis intervention. And tell me a little bit about how you got started with your collaboration with Aquifer. Aquifer brought together Sheila and I as co-directors of this project and asked us to develop the curriculum based on our experience and, and what was it known about trauma and to find leaders in the field who could help write and develop these cases. There really was an intentionality of it to pair both a physician and a behavioral scientist. So where Sheila and I were paired to, you know, lead the case development and and take it from start to finish, each of the individual cases was created by a physician and a behavioral scientist. So we always had that marriage of the, the physical and the mental health. Just so we're all on the same page, what are the kinds of trauma that you tend to be worried about when you're thinking about trauma-informed care for your patients? As a physician, we now know with the Adverse Childhood Experiences study that it's it's really these key and sometimes repetitive uh, experiences or events in the life of a child that then connect to um, mental health issues and physical health issues. As a clinical psychologist, the way I think of trauma is from the DSM, right? So it's, has something happened to you that is life-threatening or you witnessed violence or it's potential violence, your bodily integrity is on the line. Also things like combat, elder abuse. I mean, things that span the lifespan. Um, You know, some of our communities and the level of of gun violence, community violence, the day-to-day levels. In addition to those types of traumas, add in toxic stressors. Things like chronic discrimination, chronic poverty, dealing with, you know, a family member that might be incarcerated. And so do you have enough social support and how does that take a toll on the body? And so I think we're learning that it's not only just those sort of discrete traumas, but also it can be 
living in chronic stress. When we look at it so broadly, it affects so many of the people that we interact with, including ourselves. Right. And, and when we look at the med school curriculum, it's foundational to everything that med students should be taught. I mean, it's, it's really at the level of 101 in understanding so many of the pathologies that will then present as something else, uh, which again is why this course excited me because, you know, we're gearing this for uh, many people, but with a focus on physicians and practitioners who are seeing people in their clinics. How can this course help improve patient care? What what is trauma-informed care if you were going to describe some of the behaviors or approaches or awarenesses that you were seeking to improve? I think one of the biggest myths out there about trauma-informed care is the idea that it just means, oh, everybody has to screen for trauma. But this set of cases, we've tried to give our learners a broad set of skills. Right. So patient autonomy, patient awareness, patient agency is really what I feel like is at the crux of this. Simple things in configuring the the office visit where you're telling the patient that whether you know their trauma history or not, that you have an awareness of triggers and medical triggers in particular. When someone goes for a pelvic ultrasound and no one mentions that that includes a transvaginal ultrasound, right? Like huge, huge shock to a sexual assault survivor. We take for granted how triggering that can be. And we take for granted when we look at access to care, uh, why people don't return, right? So we think, well, access to care is an insurance issue. Access to care um, is a socioeconomic issue. But access to care can sometimes be a trauma issue because if you have one traumatic experience in the doctor's office, you may never come back. Trauma is so very prevalent that you must assume both with your patients and your staff that a trauma history most likely exists. We don't know on the surface. We can think, oh, are you at risk for trauma? Are you at risk for community violence? Do you look like you've been sexually assaulted? Are you in a violent relationship? But we really don't know. And are there small things we can do with every patient, every time, are there things we can work into our practice? You know, giving an overview of the appointment, looking for triggers in the environment. We've got decades of the literature now, right? That one, trauma is really prevalent. Two, unfortunately, trauma survivors do seem to have a heavier disease burden. It affects us physiologically. It affects the way we cope. And to Sheila's point about why it's important to practice universal precautions, it keeps us from stereotyping. By practicing universal precautions, it allows everyone the opportunity to to have a medical visit where they're not being triggered. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I think that's what I like about this course and and the cases that were developed. For example, you know, we have some presentations that I think um, are sort of more classically what people associate with trauma, right? A a young woman 
who has been sexually assaulted. But then we also have a male who presents with gastrointestinal issues and then doesn't want to get that MRI. And you kind of have to work and figure out what's going on. Like, is it just sort of what we call noncompliance? And then I, we also have examples, I think, in these cases as well of what to do if you do screen, the interprofessional collaboration. I think sometimes it is a relief for physicians and allied health professionals to realize I don't have to do it all. I can work with a really good team. Absolutely. But it means that the team has to have an awareness. Whatever the configuration of your team, it means that everyone has to have that discussion about how do we treat patients in a trauma-informed manner. I heard implicitly that you have to pay attention to patient clues. So if a patient is reticent about something or doesn't adhere to certain things that you might want to investigate that as part of your trauma-informed care, that there are reasons other than non-compliance or pushing back. And I struggle so much with the use of the non-compliant label, right? Because it, it, it places all the blame on the patient. When, when we leave it at that and we stamp the chart non-compliant, then we feel like, you know, we've done our due diligence really medical legally, right? So we can say, if this patient shows up three years from now with a cancer that could have been treated, I can de- document that I had referred them for that colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. But if that colonoscopy was for a male with a sexual assault history and he could not come in, it means taking that moment to explore before that patient leaves with the colonoscopy appointment. What are some of the concerns that you have? Or even being as proactively aware to say something about the fact that a colonoscopy could be triggering to someone who may have had a sexual assault history. Like, let's put it on the table. In the adverse childhood event study, I think a really useful paradigm shift they talk about is instead of what's wrong with you, it's what what happened to you? What's going on? Tell me more. In the cases, we talk a lot also about how motivational interviewing is something that goes hand in hand with trauma-informed care. When you feel stuck as a provider, are there open-ended questions that you can ask? Are there ways that you can use reflective listening when there's quote-unquote non-compliance If I can ask you more about what's going on, or I can reflect to you what you're saying, and then get you to think about it a little bit more, it takes the work off of me. If I'm the one who's like, how about this? How about this? Why don't you do it this way? Do it this way. If you are doing more of the work than the patient, one, it's not going to go anywhere. And two, it's not collaborative. In that case and some other cases, that's kind of what we're trying to illustrate. People are exhausted. And that's also part of trauma-informed health is not only patient education, patient triggers, but also what are things that we need to be looking at within the healthcare system? We cannot have a sick workforce take care of healthcare. Some of the cases that we've talked about, again, they're just, you know, they're, they're just cases to sometimes, you know, get some of these discussions going, but also talk about the the policies. What is trauma-informed leadership? Some of our users of these cases will be decision makers. And so what does it mean to really support a staff? How can you give people 
what they need to be able to replenish themselves and keep on coming back. And I think that we're going to have to ask ourselves some of those questions as well from a systems level. And there are there is a case here that where is there is some system level change. Shairi, did you want to add something? I I was just going to add talking about one of the cases that I liked (laughs) just around the physician with the trauma history. So if if you want to start, that would be perfect. I would love to hear more about the cases that you had hand in developing. Yeah. Yes. So one of the cases that we created here is about a physician with a trauma history. And I felt like we felt like that was as important as all of the other cases, because those who go into medicine have had childhood experiences and it's critical to create the space for that to be acknowledged. If we don't have an understanding that that may be in the background of, you know, the life of a physician as well, then we're missing out on an opportunity there. So that was one of my personal favorite cases, because I felt like it really elevated and illuminated something that people just probably were not thinking about. Yeah. Similarly, we also have a case where a sexual assault survivor presents to the emergency department. And I think the physician is feeling some symptoms of burnout and kind of treats her a little bit gruffly because she's got her own life stressors going on. And It's an interesting case because it's really ends up with how do we better integrate people who are peers into the emergency department, people with lived experiences, and how could they be part of the treatment team to actually take some of the burden off of all of the healthcare providers and also provide some education and mutually, it's a really, it's really a nicely done case. And I think that um, you know, very interesting about how how systems can change even under imperfect circumstances. It, it sounds also like you created cases to combat making assumptions about who people are and what level of trauma informed care they might need. We were very non-traditional in our assignment of races and genders where you're seeing physicians of all races, you're seeing patients of all races. So it was also an opportunity for us to break down some of the more traditional stereotypes about medicine and medical practices. It's it's a way to expand our thinking on um, not just the patients, but the practitioners as well. And I think what's really interesting about these cases as well is that it It challenges our stereotypes about how trauma might present itself in a medical environment, but also how resilience might present itself in a medical environment. What are the strengths that people have coming in? What are some ways that providers, physicians, allied health professionals can bolster some of those things that people already have going on? So, you know, there are many cases where you know, maybe the person says, well, I have a good support system or I'm going to church or I'm doing those things. And so, yes, this is presenting in a medical, in a medical environment, but we don't also always have to medicalize trauma. So how is um, trauma-informed care currently taught in health professions programs? A lot of health professions education is exposing students in an early, earlier in their, you know, sort of developmental career to 
especially ACEs, adverse childhood events, people are learning that that's important. I do think that sometimes it gets put in learning like special patient care topics or something like that. And that's the issue, right? It's not special. It it sounds terrible. Trauma and stress are not that special. And resilience is not that special either. I mean, it is presenting to us every single day. The need for integration is where I really like the fact that Aquifer is thinking of integration. This is not a bunch of stuff that you're going to memorize. I mean, when we look at SAMHSA's six principles that guide trauma-informed care, it's creating that sense of safety, trustworthiness and transparency, integrating peer support, collaboration, giving patients empowerment and choice, and then always paying attention to cultural, historical, and gender issues. Well, that's a way of being in the room, much more so than it is like facts to memorize. And once you can kind of make the paradigm shift of the way you are in the room, you can layer on any content on top of that. And I think students are really hungry for learning how to be professionals. And that seems, as you said, to be foundational. So if you were to spend a little time thinking like, what would be the ideal way of integrating, as you both said, this content or this way of being into a curriculum using the cases, how would you imagine that would happen? I would want to see it baked into those first two years. Those are the formative years for physicians. During that time, you're learning about the prevalence of trauma. You're learning about things that you need to look for. Each module can touch upon trauma. And then it's like it's not a thing by itself. It's part of it. It's baked in. And then it's baked into the next two years where you're actually on your rotations right? And someone on your pediatric rotation is not just saying, call child protective services. They're talking about the family dynamic that exists and why this child is being neglected and why it may not have been obvious to you. You're, you're talking about it on your OB rotation, right? When a woman comes in and she just refuses to have the pelvic exam, it's everywhere, That is the ideal for me, where you don't separate trauma from medicine. It's all integrated. Right. I I completely agree with that. And I I love the point that this cannot be a standalone course or elective. Ideally, I would love to see these cases used. And then for students who might want more practice, or if you have the ability, then to maybe bring in a standardized patient and do some practicing of some of the skills that are introduced with with these cases, that might be a really fun way to integrate them into a medical curriculum. Maybe you use the cases, you practice in some way, and then you've got something on your phone that's a reminder for your class of, did I give start and stop signals to my patients? Did I, to one patient today, did I explain how stress impacts physiology? Like a little checklist. Did I just, did I do any of this? Did I give an overview today of the appointment? until we get it more routinized. I think that these cases can be springboard into some very fun and innovative ways of teaching. Sign someone in your clinic to pretend they're a patient. What is it like to get an appointment? Who do you call? How long does it take? What forms do you have to fill out? Where do you have to sit? You know, I mean, we could go on and on, but you can kind of see what that is like from a new perspective. And then that can also help in kind of thinking about what 
you know, what you might want to do differently in practice. And that, it, again, we talk about that in some of the cases, but that can also be, I think, when when curriculums are thinking about how do we integrate some of these things, those are, I think, to a, a young learner could be a really interesting experience. Sounds like you're suggesting that these cases are absolutely a good source of reflection for medical students so they can walk into some of the arenas that you're talking about and experience firsthand what it's like. That's right. Right. Very cool. Every curriculum has something on patient-centered care. So I would start there. Whenever you are talking about how do you take a good health history, you could start there. I mean, we have a case that talks about diabetes, for example. I know every every curriculum is addressing diabetes, right? And this is simply talking about, well, what's the layers of stress and trauma that might be contributing to diabetes? Makes the discussion a little richer, but it certainly doesn't take it off target. I agree. Eat the elephant one bite at a time. The student does not need to do the entire curriculum at once, but again, get it in early, get it in often, and make it part of the the main frame of the education. And then the student will start to look for the opportunities to recognize trauma. I want to thank you both for taking time out of what must be your incredibly busy schedules to speak with me today about trauma-informed care. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Aquifer's Educator Connection podcast. Show notes from today's episode with additional links and resources are available on aquifer.org. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you find podcasts and follow us on Twitter to keep up with the latest news. While you're at it, if you found value in the podcast, tell a colleague and leave us a review. Until next time, be well. The Aquifer Educator Connection Podcast is a product of Aquifer, your trusted source for clinical learning. It is produced and hosted by Lynn Robbins. The show's executive producer is Eileen Olszewski. Audio editing and mixing by Matt Perkins. Show artwork by Carrie Waters. Our theme music, Little Idea, is written and performed by Scott Holmes. For more information, please visit our website, www.aquifer.org.